0: Let's turn our attention to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, um, and I want to begin in verse 14 and read through verse 30. And I think over these next few weeks, as as we look at this passage, it'll help us to think about these things that, that Billy was just talking to us about. Matthew 25, beginning in 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, or to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had received the two talents, made two talents more. But he had received the one talent, went and dug in the ground a hole, and he hid his master's money. Now after a long while the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he would receive the five talents, came forward, bringing the five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents here. Here, I've made five more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents, and I've made you two more His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But he who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seeds. Well, then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers so that at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. No, take this talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 for everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he does have, will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Before I jump into the text, I want to spend a little time thinking about this idea of justice, restoration, human flourishing. What is that? What does that mean? Where do we get those ideas? Yuval Harari wrote a book in 2011 called Sapiens. He's writing it from an atheistic perspective. Okay, so he's not writing it from any sort of a biblical worldview. He's not writing it with the tool of humanity being made in the image of God. And so from a secular or atheistic perspective, he's trying to answer the question, why are humans so special, right? Why has the human or homo sapien species been so dominant among all the species? Now, his conclusion is that we're a storytelling people. We tell stories. And, and actually, those stories give us a sense of unity. They give us a sense of morality. They give us a sense of justice. Now, in one sense, he's right. You know, In, in one sense, we are a storytelling people. It's from stories that we derive meaning. It's from stories that we de- derive a, a sense of justice and morality. And, of course, people tap into this all the time. This is what marketing is. This is what politicians do. I was thinking this week about... Um, you know, we're about to enter into this election cycle. And I was thinking this week about how politicians do, and I'm not against politicians, but how what politicians do is they do what uh, we see in the musical, The Music Man. Y'all ever see that old musical? Uh, I love this musical. It, it, it tells a story about this salesman named Harold Hill, Professor Harold Hill, and he would go from town to town and sell band instruments. That was his thing. And he would kind of con the town. He was a salesman, but he was kind of a con man too. And he, in the story, he settles on this unsuspecting town, River City, Iowa. And when he gets to town, he realizes that the town just got a pool hall, and that's where his con begins. And so he starts to tell the townspeople, "Oh, you got a pool table? Well, you're in trouble." You're in trouble. It's gonna ruin your youth. It's gonna ruin your young boys. They're just gonna be frittering away. They're just gonna be wasting their lives. This whole generation is going to be lost. You're in trouble. And that starts with a T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. And all the people get nervous. And they start to say, oh, we're in trouble. We have this pool hole now. All our whole generations, what can we do? And, and Harold Hill says to them, well, the only way you can save them The only way you can save this generation of boys is to start a band, start a boys band. And it just so happens that I sell musical instruments. And of course he has his con and he sells the town and there's nothing about band leading, but he sells the town all these instruments and you'll have to watch the musical. Uh, It was just on Broadway, by the way. Hugh Jackman was uh, Harold Hill. I wish I would have seen it. But anyway, this is exactly what politicians do. They tell you a story, they play on your fears, they play on your hopes, and they say the only way that this can be resolved is, you know, if you elect me or if you do this or if you do that. But we're, the point is we're a storytelling people. Now, the problem with Yuval Harari's hypothesis, though, is that if we're just a storytelling people and the stories are how we make sense of things, then everything is subjective, right? Right? Everything is dependent on whatever story you're telling. Now, that's interesting because if you think about the political conflicts that we have, if you think about the ideological conflicts that we have right now, it's all because people are telling different stories. People have a different story of the, or people have a different version of the story that they tell to say this is what's just and this is what's right and this is what's good. And so the problem with Yuval Harari's conclusion is that everything is subjective unless, of course, there's one story to set all the other stories. Unless, of course, there's like one true, true story. And of course, that's what we as Christians believe. We we are a people of story, but we don't believe that we're just telling a better story. We believe that God himself has created the world and is himself telling this story. And he's invited us to be a part of this story. and, And he himself enters into the story, proving its beauty, proving its greatness. And of course, we've seen its greatness. We've recognized how how great the story is. How it actually is better than the other stories. You know, so much of what we value in the West—things like compassion and freedom, equality, rights—these are these are ideas. These are Christian ideas. They've they've flo- they've they've grown out of the Christian moral superstructure. Now, I was having a friend a conversation with a friend the other day about human rights. I said, you know, the problem that we One of the problems with how we think in the West is we think that there are just human rights, right? That all humans just recognize, just believe. We we, we fail to realize that all of those ideas come from somewhere. They come from some story. They come from some set of beliefs. And you may say, well, why are you talking to us about Yuval Harari and Harold Hill? I thought we were going to look at Matthew 25. Well... The reason I'm doing this is because we're about to have a conversation over the next three weeks about justice and compassion and flourishing. But in order to have that conversation, we have to have some idea of what that is. We can't talk about human flourishing just haphazardly. And Christians are actually the people that are well-suited to have that conversation because we believe in a story that gives us a sense of righteousness and justice and order we believe that we do have this true story, as, as Tolkien referred to the Christian story, the true myth. And he wasn't using myth in a sense of saying that this, the Christian stories are fictional. He was saying they're true, but they have this myth essence in the fact that they, they make sense of everything. They help us make sense of the world around us. They help us understand the world around us. They help us understand how the, way, how the world around us should be. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from Matthew 25, And there's a lot that we can learn as it relates to justice. The setting for Matthew 25, the text that we just read, basically Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going to go away. I'm going to be away for a long time, but I'm going to return. And I want you to live while I'm away in light of the fact that I'm going to return. I I want you to live ready for my return eager for my return awaiting my return and there's several little vignettes in matthew 25 and even the the chapter before about how we're to live but this one in particular is about stewardship what are you supposed to do with the opportunities that you have as you await the coming of the lord so two points from the text that i want to look at with you tonight. First, I want to look at this idea of the master. And then, second, this idea of the servant. So, let's look at the master. You know, one of the interesting features of Jesus' parables is that he always writes himself into the story, usually. He always, usually writes himself into the story. He's, he's one of the characters. Now, you're gonna have to look for it, right? So you know, Jesus is the good Samaritan, the one that recognizes the one who's been forgotten by everybody else and brings about healing and redemption to them. Jesus is, in the story of the prodigal son, he is the father. And sometimes he rep- he's representing the fullness of the Godhead, but, but Jesus is the father that, that, that calls home and welcomes back his son that has squandered and run away from him. And that goes and pursues the proud older brother when he runs out into the field. And of course, in this story, this story of the master and his servants, he is the master. He's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to be like this master that goes away. And what he's saying here, and I want you to hear this, I'm entrusting something to you. Now, in this story, what the master entrusted to his servants was his wealth. The talent, this is actually a great deal of wealth we're talking about here. A talent was a weight system, and so probably this was a talent of silver. Now, it could have been more money. It could have been a talent of gold. We don't know. It doesn't specify. But if it was a talent of silver, a talent of silver was was basically equal to what one year's wage is. So (laughs) if you think about one year's wage, let's say you make $50,000 a year. This one talent would be, one year's wage. So this is a large sum of money for the master to entrust to these servants. You know, $50,000, $100,000, $250,000. And that's based on that wage. It could have been much more. It could have been a talent of gold. So we don't really know, but the point is he is entrusting a great deal of wealth into the care of these servants, and he's going away. And basically the charge is, look, I'm going away, but I want you to do with these things as I would do with them. Look at Verse 14. This will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted them his property. To one, he gave five, another two talents, another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, a couple of observations from the text. The first, again, Jesus is writing himself into the story. Jesus is the master. And Jesus, like this master, has given you. If you are his follower, if you're his disciple, he has given you a responsibility. Here's the way I like to think about it. This master is entrusting pieces of his property to his different servants. In a sense, you could think about it this way. Jesus has entrusted parts of his kingdom to you. He's entrusted parts of his kingdom to you. And he's saying, I want you to tend after this part of my kingdom. You know, it'd be like a king that literally said, look, you watch over this region, you watch over that region, you watch over this region. That, that's, that's exactly the message that we're supposed to be getting from this text here. Jesus has given you, if you are his disciple, if you're his follower, an incredible stewardship He's saying, watch over this part of my kingdom. Watch over this part of my kingdom. Watch over this, watch over this in the same way that I would if I were you. You know, we, we often say the Christian life is this. It's living your life, whatever your life is, in the same way that Jesus would live your life if he were you. Watch over his kingdom. Grow his kingdom. Expand his kingdom in the same way that Jesus would expand it. If he were you, minister, love, seek the good of others in the same way that Jesus would if he were you. It's an incredible stewardship. It's an incredible responsibility. The, the first thing that we need to see is that, that Jesus, the Master, is giving great responsibility to his servants. And what Jesus is saying in this is, I am giving great responsibility to you. And the second thing, and this is important, and it's actually liberating. The, the the members of the servants uh, in this master's household, they all have different abilities. And so the master gives them different responsibilities. That's actually kind of liberating. We live in this world that doesn't like to recognize that some people have greater abilities than others. But let me just go ahead and tell you, like, you know, Ronald Acuna is a better baseball player than you, okay? I'd like to be able to say if you work hard, you try hard, you can be as good as him, but you, none, of you, none of you can, Okay. God, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it came without hard work, but God, for whatever reason, gave that guy a lot of ability to play baseball, and that's a true thing of all of us. And it's actually kind of liberating if we just accept that. See, I'm a limited person. I'm not. I'm not capable of everything. I can grow. I can mature. I can become capable of things. But I mean, for me, as I think about that, you know, if 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 y'all all expected me to be as genius and as talented as like Charles Spurgeon or David Lloyd-Jones, that would be crushing for me. I'm just not as smart as those guys. I'm just not as good of a preacher as those guys. I'm just not as talented as them. But that's okay. The most liberating thing about this is, you know, each servant gets what, they're entrusted something, they're entrusted a great deal of something, but it's, a, it's according to their ability. It's according to the abilities that, in a sense, they, God had already given them. And that's actually very kind of liberating because the end of the passage, when, when they come back and they've obeyed the master, it doesn't say well done, good and genius servant or well done, good and super talented servant or well done, good and really strong servant. No, it just says well done, good and faithful servant. That's the call of God in our lives to just be faithful. He's entrusted different things to all of us. He's he's given you a great responsibility. He said, over this part of my kingdom, I'm entrusting it to you. Be faithful. Is it as big as this guy? Maybe not. He may have different abilities than you, but don't worry about him. You be faithful with what I've entrusted to you. And just because his is bigger than yours, don't think that I haven't entrusted you something incredibly important. Or just because hers is bigger than yours, don't think that I haven't trusted in you something very important. And the way to please the Father is to be faithful. So of course, the the Jesus has given us this incredible stewardship. Number one, he's given people different stewardships according to their ability. Number three, and this is so important to remember, all the wealth belongs to the master. At the end of the day, it was never really the wealth of the servants. The things that God's called you to steward, they're actually not really yours. They're things that God's entrusted you to be faithful with for the sake of his glory. I'll just say it this way. The master wasn't giving his money to the servants for it to be theirs. The master was entrusting his money to their care. And their job was to represent the master, to do a good and a faithful job, to to treat this thing that the master had entrusted to them in the same way that the master would treat it. And if they were faithful This is the end of the story. If they were faithful, the invitation to them was what? Share in everything. Share in everything. You be faithful over this little part that I've entrusted to you. What is the final invitation? Share in your master's joy. It's all yours. That's an incredible thing. This is an incredible promise of Christianity. As you are faithful to follow Christ, to steward the things that he entrusts you with very, very well, the invitation when, you, when the master returns is, it's all yours. You know, there's this song that I like that we sing called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And one of the lines says this, it's a, and I love this line it says, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound. His, I love that expression, my life is wholly bound to his. I, everything that I am, it's bound to him. <laughs> I'm not hedging my bets here. I'm, I don't have a plan B. I, I, I am all in. I, I, I am no longer the master of my own life. I am completely loyal. I am completely dependent on Jesus, my true master. My life is wholly bound to his. As the song says, he is my joy. He is my righteousness. He is my freedom, right? I'm, I'm getting none of these things for myself. It's, it's him. It's all him. He is my steadfast love. He is my deep and boundless peace. I, I've, I've gone all in, right, with Jesus. My life is wholly bound to him. I am a part of his kingdom. He is my master. I have relinquished control of my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is that true of you, you know? Are you trusting the master who entrusts to you different things or are you the master who's saying to Jesus, I'll give you this little part of my life. Now don't screw it up because I got, I got my wealth over here that I'm not gonna give to you and it makes me feel really special too. So you better make me feel special on Sunday or I'm just gonna go work more, right? Or I'll give you this little part of my life and I'll try to obey you in this area, but I've got this other part of my life that I really enjoy, and don't let me down over here. I'll just go enjoy this more. Is he the master that's entrusting things to you, or are you the master entrusting things to him? That's the clarifying question. What is true of your life? I love this song. My life is wholly bound to him. My life is wholly bound to him. I'm not hedging my bets here. I'm all in with Jesus. But but the amazing thing about the promise of Christianity is, is, is that as we entrust ourselves to Jesus, he entrusts himself to us. As the song says, Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing, all is mine. Everything that's his is now mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Do you know Jesus is your master? Is he your master? Or are you the master? Is Jesus in his kingdom your joy, your righteousness, your freedom, your peace? Or are you your peace and your righteousness? Do you have a master or are you the master? The second thing I want to look at here is the servants. Very interesting interaction. So the first and the second servants, they, they take the investment And they're faithful. They double it. They work hard. They do what the master would do. They take risks. They go and make money. They're very smart. They're shrewd. And of course, he praises them, right? Well done, good and faithful servants. You've taken what I've entrusted to you. You've done what I would have done with it. And you've you've been faithful. You've made more. But the third servant, it's a fascinating exchange. We've got it up on the screen here. It says, he who'd received the one talent came forward. And look how he begins. He says, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid of you, master. I went in and hid your talent in the ground. Here, take what is yours. Do, do you notice his tone? What's the difference in the, the different servants? Is this guy just a bad investor? Or is there something different about him? Can you hear it? Here's the, here's the difference. This guy doesn't trust the master. He doesn't even like the master. <laughs> he doesn't come and he says, Master, I messed up, I'm sorry. I never went to business school. I didn't know what to do. No, he, he comes out and he immediately critiques the master. So you're a hard man. You, you reap where you don't sow. You, you, you gather where you didn't scatter seed. It's your fault, master. You're too hard. You're too mean. I can't trust you. You expect too much. And so I denied you. And what did he do? He took what the master had entrusted him. He said, I don't care about this master. And he forgot about it. He said, I'm just going to focus on my thing. I'm going to live my life. Who cares about the master and his kingdom and his affairs? I've got my own stuff to worry about. And of course, his master, he doesn't say, well, thank you for not losing it. (laughs) No, he totally condemns this man. It's, it's, It's one of the harshest condemnations that we actually see in the New Testament. And he says to this man, you wicked. In some translations, I like it better, it says lazy, who uses the word slothful anymore, but you lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. And then this next part, I don't think the master's agreeing with him. I think he's being a little sarcastic here. So here, and I think the question mark actually helps us here. So listen to the tone in this voice. I don't think the master's saying, yeah, I, you know, I am a hard man. No, he's saying, he's, listen to how he's saying, he's saying, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, right? You knew that I gathered where I have not scattered seed, right? You knew I was such a bad guy? Well, if I was such a bad guy, why didn't you at least go put the money in the bank so that at my coming, you would have received it with own interest? Basically, the master's calling me here. He's saying, no, (laughs) I'm not the problem here. You're the problem. You were so concerned with your own life and your own things that you did nothing with what I entrusted to you. You were wicked and you are lazy. And so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But to the one who does this, the one who takes what God entrusts him and squanders it, forgets about it and gives no honor, To his master, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's so stark, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, you know, you read this text and you're kind of enjoying Matthew 25 and then pow, it hits you in the face. It's very stark. On one side, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. All is mine, is now yours. On the other side, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. I mean, this is hell. This is separation from the master. So what can we learn from these servants? And the principle is really this. You, you can either take what the master has entrusted to you And orient your life towards the master, or you can take what the master has entrusted to you and orient your life towards yourself. Are you the master? Or do you have a master? You can you can take what the master has entrusted to you and orient your life to the master, realizing my life is wholly bound to him, I am living for his kingdom, or you can take what the master has entrusted to you and orient your life towards yourself. But if you choose the second. If you orient your life toward yourself, you'll be just like this guy. You'll always be hedging. You'll always be protecting. You'll never take risk. You'll never really be free because you're in control. You got to make sure everything's safe. This is the third servant. But if you realize it's all the masters, you'll be able to live into him. You'll be able to obey God, actually. It won't be you, the master, entrusting some of your life to God. No, he'll be the master entrusting parts of his kingdom to you. And it'll revolutionize every part of your life. It'll revolutionize how you live. It'll revolutionize how you wake up and go to bed. I'm not just talking about churchy things here, right? I don't want you to hear, oh man, you know, I better do better at passing out the bulletins next week. That's what God's entrusted to me. Well, yeah, maybe God has entrusted to you the bulletin job. That's part of your responsibility. And those of you who do it, you do a great job. But no, no, I'm talking about your whole life here. I'm talking about everything that God's entrusted to you. If you live in a master-oriented way, it'll totally change the way you have relationships. It'll change the way you really have relationships with your Christian friends. You'll want to stir one another along. You'll want to live toward the master. You want to pray for one another. It'll change the way you have relationships with your unbelieving friends. You'll realize, I am an ambassador for Christ. This is the part of the kingdom that God has given me to steward and to shepherd. I'm to advance the kingdom here and to grow the kingdom here, just like the master would do. How would Jesus live your life if he was living your life? It'll change the relationship you have with your children. The most important thing in your life Life will be a master-oriented representation of Jesus in your home. It'll change the way you work. You, know, you you'll, you'll work in such a different way if you realize I am master-oriented in my job. I'm not just here for profits, right? <laughs> I'm here to expand the kingdom of Christ. God's given me this opportunity. You'll, you'll, you'll do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You'll you'll be humble, you'll be patient, you'll be gracious and I want to talk about this too, it will will change the way that we scatter as a church working for God's restoration and justice in the city of Atlanta. We will realize God has given us a stewardship, he's entrusted these things to us, and we want to see through our lives in this city a reflection of the new Jerusalem, just like Billy said in the video. We want to see in this city now, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk about this, a couple of ideas that I want to just kind of brainstorm with you. First, as we scatter, as we scatter in a master-oriented way, I want us to have a multi directional pursuit of justice. And and I'm using the word justice in this biblical sense. The the idea of justice, to to bring righteousness to the city that we live in in the same way that there will be righteousness in the city where Jesus reigns. And so in order for that to happen, you know, we have all these bless the city events. We have things where you can engage with uh, refugees in Clarkston in a one-on-one basis. We have opportunities where you can uh, uh, help to uh, foster a child. We have all these opportunities where you can uh, come alongside a second grader and teach the second grader sight words so that they can grow in literacy and maybe have a chance of learning how to read so that they can get a job and flourish in the world. We have all these what I'll call kind of grassroots opportunities. But we also, and I want you to hear this, we also as a church must be thinking not just, bottom-up kind of thing. But we have to be thinking (laughs) top-down. You know, who of you needs to run for school board? Who of you maybe needs to run for city council? How can you impact education policy or housing policy or immigration policy? Some of these big kind of things. How How can your business be a part of employing more refugees so that more people can get decent jobs? And, and, and grow and advance their lives. I, I want us as a church to be smart about this, to have a multi-directional approach to pursuing what is right and good and just in our city. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. You know, the ministry of Jesus is so interesting because he's not just focused on small things, nor is he focused on big things. He's focused on both. There's times in his ministry where he's ministering to this leprous person that nobody has ever been concerned about ever. And he ministers to this person, and it changes the community around him and then there's times in the ministry of Jesus where he's going after Nicodemus, this influential man that has this authority he's 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 smart about how he does this If you know me very well, you know I love a good two by two grid, and this one is in beta form at best but But I think you know as Christians, we are certainly called to be compassionate, right? we're called to be merciful we're called to see the needy around us you know this is the next text that we're going to look at in two weeks this famous passage where jesus says when you did it to the least of these you did it to me you recognize the needy person you weren't just so busy with all these other more important things that's the story of the good samaritan right Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Levite and the priest passed the guy that had been beaten up and robbed on the side of the road. The Levite and the priest. I mean, Jesus is trying to make it as obvious as he can. But why did they pass him by? Because they were off running, doing more important things. And so they were unconcerned. So Jesus is certainly not calling us to be unconcerned, but to be compassionate, to be moving up the vertical axis here. But at the same time, and I'm using the word wisely diligent, I also believe that the Bible calls us to this wise diligence here, to realize what is the best way to do things? How do we need to go after this? What can we do to bring about justice and mercy and flourishing in our city in wise ways? You know, so oftentimes I think Christians, we can, we can be passive, We we can hide behind the sovereignty of God as an excuse for passivity. We can say, well, God is sovereign. He'll take care of it. And I think there's some people who have said that. They're the kind of people that say, Lord, I knew you to be a sovereign God, and so I did nothing. And Jesus will say, you knew me to be sovereign? Well, of course, God is sovereign. But he's saying, but I commanded you to be my representatives, I commanded you to preach the gospel. I commanded you to to love your neighbors, you lazy and wicked servant. So I believe that both of these must be true. Yes, of course, we're called to be compassionate, but in our compassion, we're also called to be diligently wise. I hope these are helpful categories as we think about what does it mean for us to be a church that pursues justice and mercy in our city, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Are you master-oriented or are you self-oriented? That'll help define all of this. Are you master-oriented or are you self-oriented? When you get master-oriented, when you realize everything you have comes from the master, you won't be so self-protective. You'll be generous. You'll be free. You'll be free from the Atlanta narrative. You, won't, you don't always have to be spending all your wealth on the time on yourself to make your reputation, but you, you'll actually be able to serve others. You won't be so easily offended. It won't always be about you. you. You'll be able to leverage your life for the things of God. And not just yourself. Are you master-oriented? Or are you self-oriented? You know, C.S. Lewis says that we picture, we must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement. We must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance. Everyone's been, you mess with the wrong guy, right? Where everyone lives with the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. Are you master-oriented or are you self-oriented? Are you leveraging your work, your business, your time toward the master? That'll that'll help you with this. That'll help you with with this multidirectional approach to justice. Maybe God gave you more time so you can go volunteer and, and give one hour a week to try to teach a second grader how to read what sight words are or maybe God gave you this business so you can be intentional about hiring refugees or people that are in poverty situations so that they can flourish in that situation or maybe God gave you this heart for children for you to be engaged in, in, uh, in foster care or adoption are you master focused or are you just self focused you know here's the deal guys I'm gonna be honest, I want to shoot straight with you. We all resist masters. I do, you do. We all resist authority over us. Sometimes because we've had a bad experience with somebody who's been in authority over us. But a lot of times it's just because we're proud. A lot of times it's just because we want to be served. We don't want to be the servant. We want to be served. A lot of times, we're the kind of people that, you know, we only practice servant leadership so that one day we can be in leadership and people will serve us and we can be comfortable and we can be lazy. Don't you see? We struggle with masters. And I think my, my hope for myself and for you tonight is that God would break us of this pride that God would help us to see how ill-equipped we are to, act, to be a master even of our own lives and how small our little skull-sized kingdoms are and that he would set us free from that, that we could see tonight the, the beauty of the kingdom and the wonder of the master that is calling us. And let me tell you, Jesus is different than any other master. Jesus is the kind of master that became the servant, don't you see? Jesus was the one who had all comfort and all joy and all rest, and he left all of that to identify with us. Jesus is the one who who forsook his comfort to be the servant, and to be the servant in the most profound way. Jesus took on our sin, Don't, don't you see? Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was the servant that went to outer darkness. Jesus was the servant that endured the gnashing of teeth so that we, through him, could come into his Father's joy so that we, through him, could experience all that was his. do you see this kind of master that we have? The master that was willing to become the servant so that we could see, so that we could live for something more than our own life, something so much greater, something so much better. Have you seen a master like this, Jesus, who loves you? Have you known his love as he moves in your heart and life? And as he does... And as he sees this, and as he frees us from our self-oriented ways, that, my friends, is how God will bring justice through us to this city. That is how God will bring his kingdom to this earth. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. Speak to us now, O Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just send even now conviction on our hearts. You give us new faith. You give us new energy. You would give us new understanding to follow after Jesus with a new heart. Or break us of our sin. Lead us to repentance and then lead us to deeper faith. To be the people that run to Jesus, our Lord. The master who became a servant. So Lord, that we, the wicked servants, could become the good and faithful servants entering into the joy of our master. Do this work in our hearts, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.